you've been around Mill City for a while, or if you're new, I want to let you know something we talk about here at Mill City a lot, and that is that there's only one church. It just meets in many different locations. The Church of Jesus is meeting all over the world in these next 12 hours and before now, and we are so honored to be one of those local churches here at Mill City, but that means that we believe in supporting the established church, and we believe in starting new churches. And so Mill City has been a part of two new churches starting, and one of those is North City Church, uh, which is a dinner church that meets around the dinner table and talks about Jesus and the way of Jesus together and loving their neighbors in the way of Jesus. And that was, how long ago was that now? Three years ago, we birthed this new church. Y'all birthed this new church. How incredible is that? And we are so honored to have one of the pastors. Yeah, let's clap for that. I mean, that's amazing, right? That's incredible. And we're so honored to have one of their lead pastors here, Christian Ann, who's going to be preaching today. We're in this conversation, Steps of Faith, talking about what it looks like to holistically say yes to Jesus in our lives. And I'm so excited for her to, to bring that to us today. We're just talking about the words of Jesus and the ways of Jesus. And this is really from the heart of what, it's, what North City Church is all about, and you'll hear that today. So can we just give one more welcome to Pastor Christian Ann? Thanks, Steph. Steph and I have been partners in crime for a long time. There's no record of that, but just saying. Um, it feels like coming home, y'all, and it's so good to be here. And uh, Mill City was my church for 10 years, so it feels good to be with you. And I'm excited to share from God's Word, and I just thank you for your warm welcome as well. Uh, let's just pray before we get started. Lord, we pause to notice you. God, I don't know what weeks we came from, but God, you do. And we come and we want to worship you today, God. We want to notice your presence. We want to hear from your voice, God. We want to be influenced by you as we look at your word, as we sit next to friends or strangers. We're in your presence. So Holy Spirit, would you guide us today? Would you illuminate the things in our hearts, the dark corners of our hearts and God, bring your love. Meet us here, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I know that some of you don't really talk about the community time question. Some of you are like, I'm an introvert. I'm going to the bathroom. But I'm curious, who are my birthday people out there? Like, who of you love your birthday? Raise your hand. Okay, small crowd. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. How many of you are like, please don't even acknowledge me on my birthday? Why is there a Facebook thing for this? Raise your hand. Not, not into the birthdays. See, you don't even want to raise your hand. I, I get you. Okay. As you could probably tell, I'm a little bit more of the birthday category gal. Like, I, I love celebrating my birthday. Um, growing up, my mom actually had a sign on the door, on our front door, for a little season of our, of our life, probably in the toddler years, that said, don't say the words party or birthday because of how long I would go on and talk about it afterwards. So it was just like saving everybody the pain of, dis of telling me my birthday wasn't for like a whole nother year. Um, and that love of birthdays has definitely continued into my home. Like my kids, you can count on it. Does not matter what time of the year. Mom, can you give me this for my birthday? I wanna have these people in my birthday. Can I do this for my birthday? I recently was asked for a horse farm for their birthday. I was like, no, um, I don't know how to break that to you. That's not gonna be an option. But Birthday love has continued, and uh, as I've, I've gotten older, I celebrated 35 this year. I'm like halfway to 70, baby. That's right. Made it. Um, a fun story, because I think JD's not here, so I can throw him under the bus. I told him that I was going to tell a story, my husband. 
sitting across from me at um, dinner on my birthday uh, this last week, actually, um, he was just kind of like pensively looking at me, and I was like, oh, that's so sweet. And um, he kind of like was zeroing in on like a certain part of my head, and he said, were you wearing a hat today? You have like a couple lines like on your head. And I said, those are wrinkles. Those are wrinkles. I am 35. That's like what we're celebrating here today. So anyway, proud, proud. So not only do I just like love a good party because um, I'm an extrovert, but I think that this rhythm has come up in my life as I've, you know, experienced a birthday as an adult. I, I've taken it as an opportunity to pause. It's sort of become a ritual to pause and look back on my life in this last year. And, you know, you're in between the, the end of one year and the start of another to look back and to look forward. And I journal and I sort of just have a conversation with God and myself and to say, how can I make some meaning of this last year of my life? And we have these moments in our lives. Maybe, maybe it's not your birthday for you. Maybe it's the holidays or anniversaries or a, a, a silent retreat you go on once a year or a vacation you take with your family. We have these rhythms in our lives where we intentionally pause and we celebrate and we look back and we remember and we do this to get some perspective on our lives. Or maybe you're thinking, I don't know if I have those practices? Do I, do I have those times of pause, those, those moments when I stop and I get perspective on my life? Do you feel like you're floating through life? That especially after the last two years of just tons of online meetings and where we get to be our own schedulers for many of us, or maybe you're just coming out of being overworked and you just feel like your life is pulling you from one place to the next. And you're wondering, what is this all about? I'm exhausted, I'm stressed, I'm distracted. I really believe that our world, especially after the last couple years, needs spaces and rituals to make meaning of this life. God created us as meaning-making creatures. That's what we're culture comes from because we're people who can't help but want to make meaning of our lives. That's what it means to be created in the image of God. And so do we have spaces where we pause? Do we have times when we reflect? And so these last two sermons, I had the chance to, to listen back to y'all's journey where you've been coming from in the Steps of Faith series. And it's focused on the first one Pastor Steph talked about, surrendering to Jesus. And how when we surrender, we really are acknowledging we didn't have control in the first place, right? That's one of the steps of being in relationship with Jesus, is surrendering to him and his leadership. And Pastor Michael talked about friendship and trust in Jesus and what it's like to be influenced by him, to be constantly in relationship, to be in a friendship with Jesus. And so I want to ask us this question today as sort of a next step in this series is how do we stay connected to that person? How do we stay connected to the person of Jesus when our lives feel like they're escaping between our fingers or pulling us from one thing to the next? When we really have tons of agency over our lives and sometimes we feel like we have none. Because I know for me on an everyday level, I have three kids, six and under. 
I am desperately craving more rhythm and pause in my life. More moments when I can pause and hear the meaning that God is offering for me in my life. And so another question is, how is God inviting you in this moment and in your life to pause and make meaning, to, to capture his influence in your life? The scripture we're looking at today is Luke 22. So if you want to pull it up on your smartphone or it's going to be up on the screen or open it up in, in your Bible, we're going to learn from a rhythm in Jesus' life that was a staple, something that he celebrated from a young boy the Passover meal. And the Passover well, is something that we've come to call the Lord's table or communion. That's the, the Christian evolution of a very rich, meaningful feast and practice in Jewish culture. And so just to give you a little bit of context of where we're coming into this scripture, it's Luke 22. And so Jesus has traveled from Galilee and doing ministry kind of the outskirts to now Jerusalem to celebrate Passover week and to celebrate, and to come and worship. And what's so interesting as I was looking at this and reading through some commentaries, the Synoptic Gospels each spend at least three chapters on four days of Jesus' life. And the Gospels are this overview of what, who Jesus was, what he cared about, what he came to do. But when a writer of the Bible spends so much time on simply four days... That's an invitation to us as readers, as studiers of Scripture to say, oh, maybe we should pause and take note differently of this season. And this is obviously where he comes to the cross and the resurrection, but it's important. And so to slow down. So this morning, we're going to give a significant time to the reading of the Scripture. Maybe you've done a practice that I know Mill City does called dwelling in the Word. And it's where you read it slowly, even maybe twice or three times, and it's an, in an effort to let Scripture read you, to slow down and to notice what's standing out to you. What does the Holy Spirit have to say today, in my life's context today? Because I trust that God's going to know your life way better than me. And so before we, we enter into the Scripture, I just encourage you to pause, take a breath. Sometimes I get to my you know, 10 o'clock, I'm like, I don't think I've really breathed today. Get some oxygen to your brain and welcome the Holy Spirit's voice. And I'll read this for us. Luke 22, 7 through 30. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go. And make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
For I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking this cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup, the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go at it as it's been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be and who would do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules is like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you, the one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. The word of the Lord. Just take a second. Maybe jot down a note if you want to. What stood out to you? Take a note of that in your mind or write it down on your phone. question you might find yourself asking, especially if you, maybe if you're fresh to following Jesus or have followed Jesus a long time, why do we do this practice of communion? And it's always a good question to ask, why do we do what we do? And so I want to give us a little context that might help us understand this practice and what it was meaning for Jesus at that time. If you notice the word Passover was used four times. So that means this is significant. This was where the Jewish people and the Israelite people looked back on their history, and this was the most significant celebration in their year. I don't know if you've ever been to a Passover meal or what it's called now, a Seder meal in the Christian context, but it's four hours long. It's four hours long. Now, that's, that's my kind of meal. I enjoy that. Maybe some of you were like, absolutely not. That sounds miserable. It was a little miserable. We had 11 kids at this meal, and four hours, we shortened it down to like two, and even that was something. Um, but this, it's designed so that each element of the meal points them to something that God did, a, a, a recollection of what they experienced in Egypt, and reminded them of what God did for them. And so there's something really salty in the meal to remind the, the Israelites, of the tears that they cried of oppression. 
or the unleavened bread, meaning it's flat, kind of nasty bread, in my opinion. Um, it, it didn't have time to rise because the, the Israelite people had to rush out of their homes so quickly when, when they were fleeing Egypt. Or the lamb, the lamb shank that they would take part in. That was to remind them of the lamb that was sacrificed instead of their kids. All these things are reminders of how God liberated his people. And at the Passover table, it put yourselves in the shoes to, to remind yourself that God sees the suffering of his people. He hears your cries. He liberates his people into freedom, and he's promising something new. You don't have to stay in this place anymore. And they would celebrate that and remember and go there emotionally. And so at the Passover table, that's, we, it's designed to, in this scripture to remind us that it's not just about what Jesus is doing here, but it's this rich history of what God has done for many years for his people. And I especially was struck by verse 15, which says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He wants to eat this meal with his disciples. Now, this is something he did every year. I mean, there's tons of preparations. For this. this is a very familiar thing. But he said, I want to do this with you. Why? So that Jesus could remember who God is. Sometimes we forget and we, we only think about how Jesus is God. But Jesus knew that there were some really really hard things that he was about to face. And so he needed to remember who God is. He needed to remember what God had done. He wanted to remember the story that God liberates in the midst of suffering. He didn't want to do that alone. He wanted to do that with his people. And I know it's not lost on Jesus that he's about to go through his own exodus. Deep suffering where he's going to take on the slavery and oppression of the world on the cross. So even Jesus needed to be reminded of, of these things. Even Jesus needed this encouragement. So how much more do we? Do we need to be reminded of the meaning of the purpose of how God meets us in suffering what are the rituals that we have that remind us of these things? Rituals and rhythms like this one, now this was an annual rhythm, but they're so important because they help us pause to make meaning of our lives and not just flow through. And this is what Jesus does. He takes something that's familiar to us, to them, the Passover table, and infuses his story into it and gives the disciples a chance to pause with him a thing that they look back on and do over and over in the future church. And so in this moment, we get to see how the Passover table becomes the Jesus table. And I'm going to use the Jesus table and communion almost interchangeably for the rest of our time over this, over this teaching. Because at our church at North City, Steph alluded to this, we talk a lot about Jesus tables. In the last two years, we changed our entire service, our, the way that we worship, the way that we gather to be around a dinner, trying to emulate 
this dinner, this, this meaningful moment that Jesus had with his disciples, and the many, many other times that Jesus chose to eat with people, chose to eat with outcasts, chose to eat with enemies, chose to eat with people who disagreed with him. We want to emulate that. Now, we don't have lamb shank, okay? We have hot dogs and hamburgers and walking tacos, and people love it. They love the walking tacos. It looks different, right? And, and we've been outdoors um, at Weber Pool. If you've ever been there, it's over in North, and it's a really cool space. To, and we see people walk up from all walks of life. We see this as a neighborhood table where Jesus invites everyone. And we've met people who are totally uninterested in church or religion and see their eyes and hearts often just in conversation and maybe even stay for what we call the Jesus story. We've met people in human trafficking situations. We've met people in addiction. We've met lonely parents looking for community. We've met kids. We've been interrupted by kids many times, mostly my kids. But overall, we've seen people let their guards down and meet Jesus at this neighborhood table. And so we've, we've noticed that when we sort of open ourselves up to Jesus showing up at this table, the beloved community of God and the stranger, there's something really beautiful that happens that your perspective kind of opens up beyond just your own individual experience which is what communion is designed to do. What Jesus wanted to do with his disciples that day, to have them look ahead, to look around, and to look at him. And so I'm going to challenge you to find a weekly rhythm, a weekly rhythm of a Jesus table in your life that has the ingredients of Jesus, the beloved community of God, and the stranger. So that you might grow a different perspective, an elevated sort of looking up. We're going to sing a song, God, I look to you, to look up out of just like the busyness and chaos of our lives. Because at this table, we're called to remember Jesus. Oh, yeah, here comes the alliteration. You got to love it. Remember Jesus, reorder our lives around his kingdom, and to receive the good gift of forgiveness, of belonging, and of his love not necessarily in any particular order. So let's go through that a little bit. How can we pause, and it does require pause, right, to remember him? Now, I love the language that's used in this scripture because it's talked a lot about kingdom, my kingdom coming. So that means Jesus is king, which plays right into the last couple sermons of surrendering to him and, and having him have influence and leadership in your life to offer him trust and relationship and, and to trust him in the direction he leads you, bringing our busy lives to him, but to stop and remember Jesus. How can we reorder our lives, reorder our lives around his kingdom? Do you see? And it's just so fascinating, right? Like Jesus is having this moment with his disciples, and right after the betrayal scene and, and, and Judas, they, a dispute rises among them in verse 24. And they're talking about who's the greatest. 
Jesus has got to have a lot of empathy and, like, a lot of compassion because these people have been with him for three years. It just gives me a lot of hope for myself. Like, okay, we can learn things over and over and over again, right? It's not about who is the greatest. He even said, you're not to be like that, the people who lord over their leadership over others. How can we reorder our lives? Because he said, it's like the youngest who is elevated in my kingdom. And that's what I've loved noticing, like, who comes to our, our, our dinner table. Because sometimes I, I feel like I'm getting interrupted when, when someone's talking to me who might be a neighbor who might not be used to our, our you know, worship and how we do things. But then I realize it's not really always about my experience. Jesus says it's about putting others first, servitude and, and suffering. I, I eagerly want to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. How can we rearrange our lives to look more like his kingdom? In other Gospels, it shows him washing their feet. How can we reprioritize? Because the world's not going to help you do that. They're going to say, keep going and, and keep striving and only focus on what's bettering you. But that's the opposite. Jesus invites us into reflecting and saying, God, what would it look like for my life to reflect your life. I came across a quote from Father Richard Rohr as I was listening to him on a podcast. And if, you don't, if you're not familiar with him and his leadership, I encourage you to check him out. He said, The historic paths towards spiritual transformation are great love and great suffering. And great love always leads to suffering. Dang it. <laughs> because love leads us to places that we wouldn't normally go. And so when we come to the communion table and we remember Jesus and we ask, how, God, do you want me to reorder my time, my finances, the way that I talk with others, or the way that I lead my, my team, the way that I parent my kids, how can I reorder my life around your love, servitude, even if that means suffering. And the last R, like something else, I, I, like I said, no particular order. You can come and to the communion table and to a Jesus table just knowing that you need to receive. Jesus says, take this cup. This is my blood poured out for you, the blood of the new covenant. I'm kind of a covenant geek, I'll be honest. It's a word we don't really use a lot. But covenant is another word for family. That you are invited into God's family, and that is a gift. A gift that maybe we need to be reminded of over and over again, that we belong. Did you notice that he didn't send Judas out? He was even saying to his enemy, you can be here at my table with me. There is space at the table for people who feel super connected to Jesus or not at all. And so we come to communion as a way to receive from him. Receive that love. Receive that sacrificial love. That forgiveness of sins. And so we get the chance now. We get the chance now to take communion, to come and bring our lives, to remember him, 
to ask, how can I reorder my lives around his kingdom? And what, what God do you want me to receive from you? And I encourage you to do this not only on an individual level, but to look for these opportunities in your everyday life. And you might need to create these opportunities in your everyday life on a weekly basis. Because church, like there's such a strong current in this world to do the next thing. And there is an enemy who is just so happy about all the distraction. Who wants to keep you from purpose? Who wants to keep you from noticing Jesus? Who wants to keep you from pointing that out in other people's lives? Who wants to keep you away from the stranger? Who wants to say enemies aren't welcome at your table? Who wants to lie to you and keep you going on to the next thing? So this is a glad, welcomed interruption to our lives. And I love that Mill City chooses to practice this weekly. To say, how can we remember you, Lord? Let us not forget who you are. How can I reorder my life around you? your kingdom, what you care about. I'm going to call the communion servers forward. You are always welcome to come and have some walking tacos as communion with us. We meet at 5 p.m. on Sunday nights, and it's another way of experiencing Jesus' table. And I want to encourage you to fight for meaning. Fight for pause in your life. Because Jesus did. He didn't have to do this practice. He could have went and been by himself. But he wanted to do it with others. He wanted to look at his friends in the eyes and to say, this is my body. I was broken for you. Take and eat. And he said, this is my blood that was given up for you. This is the blood of the new covenant. One that's not of condemnation or shame, but of forgiveness and love. Sacrificial love that goes to great lengths to say, you will always belong in my family. Take and drink. So as you prepare for communion, just maybe take a moment to go through and to say, how can I remember you, Lord? Maybe it's just one of these. How can I reorder my life around you? And what do I need to receive from you today? And I encourage you to come and you'll form one line. And then as you see, there's two stations on each side. So maybe just go to the, to the next one, the further one, if it's open. It's a reason why we need to do this, not just with our minds, but with our bodies. We need physical reminders of who Jesus is. And so let me pray for us as you prepare for communion. Lord, show us the spaces in our lives that you're trying to interrupt us, where you want to show us the meaning and help us make meaning of the things that you're doing in this world. Help us to remember this sacrifice, this determination that you had to go to great lengths to love us, to lead us, to offer us a different kingdom and a different way of living. 
and help us to receive you today. Help us to receive your love, your goodness, and your welcome to your table. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come as you're ready.